You are listening to the most comprehensive source for news and views about today's unions. This is LaborUnionNews.com's Labor Relations Radio and your host, Peter List. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Thanks for turning on and tuning in to Labor Relations Radio. If you couldn't guess by that intro, we're going to be talking about the education system today with someone on the front lines. Why? Because I've had a lot of questions for quite a while about what is really happening in classrooms across America. You know, one of the reasons I don't watch television news is that it's difficult to cut through the political spin. Whether it's on the right or the left, there are people and institutions with agendas who are not always honest. So in my case, rather than just accept what some talking heads say on television to peddle outrage, I prefer to get the news from all sides and for my own opinion, which granted may be strong at times, but hopefully is based in reason and fact. So over the past few years, and more so over the last year, there's been a lot of media coverage about what is happening in today's public schools. And like everything else, the rhetoric has taken on a politically hyperbolic tone. So instead of just accepting what's being spun in the media about today's education system, I decided to go to the sources. And hopefully this will be the first of several episodes in which I'll be talking to teachers on the front lines in today's schools. And if you're a school teacher and want to share what it's like on the front lines wherever you are, reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you and have you on the podcast. But joining me today is Sarah. Sarah is a school teacher who has had the unique experience of being a school teacher in California and is now teaching public school kids here in the Southeast. Here's Sarah. You are listening to Labor Relations Radio. So Sarah, welcome to Labor Relations Radio. Thank and you. This is um Somewhat unusual, as I mentioned a couple minutes ago, I hope it's the first of several that I want to do with teachers who have been on the ground uh, throughout the last few years and kind of get a sense in terms of what's going on across the country. Okay. And you are the perfect one to start with because you are a former California school teacher who yes. just recently lo- relocated to the Southeast, which yep. has got to be a big culture shock for you. Yeah, it was a little, it's a little different out here Yes, <laughs> than it was in California. Well, you just need to learn to say y'all, but I think sure. you got it. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> so um, how many years have you been teaching and this, what grades? This is my 12th year. I have taught at alternative school. So that was ninth to 12th graders. I've taught uh, junior high, seventh to eighth grade. And then I've taught um, high school, just regular high school, ninth to 12th grade as well. And you're doing what ages right now? 
Um, I'm actually, I just got a new position, so I'll be doing technically ninth to 12th grade. Um, yeah. So high school again, I just finished junior high. So, so you are, um, California born and bred. Yes. And you, you began teaching out there. Um, I guess, first of all, what is it like teaching in California versus the Southeast? Um, I would say the biggest difference is that we are unionized in California. Um, and so the pay is a driving force for many teachers in California. You'll have teachers that stay for the, you know, for their, the course of their career because they're making so much money. So they might not even like kids anymore, but how do you give up a hundred grand a year with, you know, a lifetime of benefits and all that that entails, it's very difficult to give up. So we had that, um, in California that we don't have here. I would also say that um, it's a, it's a lot more liberal in California. It just is. Uh, the unions are more liberal. Um, the teachers are more progressive as opposed to more leaning more conservative. Um, the students uh, act differently in California than they did when I came here to the South. There were no yes ma'ams and no sirs and um, there wasn't as much parental involvement in California that I've had out here. So, um, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I would say, um, I think parents should be involved. So as a teacher and a parent, they should be involved. So if you have questions about what's going on in my classroom, you should be asking me so that you can get, you know, get it from the horse's mouth as opposed to, you know, whatever gets translated either on social media or through students, because we all have, you know, students think some type of way about teachers sometimes too. Um, In California, there wasn't as much discipline. So I would have students that, you know, would get caught smoking weed and nothing would happen. We're here, at least they're kicked out for a few days or, you you know, there is some type of consequence. So that was a big difference as well. What would happen if you disciplined kids in California? There was, I think the hardest thing was now, now, and I will say this as a caveat, the last six years in California, I had a job where I didn't really have to discipline so much um, because the students uh, you know, they liked the classes that I taught. And so they were, it was, it was easier in that sense. But I know I heard the horror stories of teachers that just couldn't do anything with the kids. So if you don't have parents involved or parents that are supportive of having discipline in place for their child and the district's hands are tied because of the legislation that has gone through in California, then the teacher is really stuck with whatever problem they're having in a 35 plus classroom full of students. So um, that too is different. The class sizes are a lot different here than they were in California. I, I mean, there were teachers that had 40 plus kids in their class and here my biggest class was 21, 23. So that would be the biggest. So, so you started out by saying that the pay is much higher in California, um, but is the cost of living substantially different? It was. And I do, I, whenever people ask about that, I was in an area that wasn't so expensive to live. So the pay really did go far, a lot farther than in other areas. So we didn't live in LA where, you know, it costs a million dollars to have a a house in a decent area. Um, So we were thankful for that, but they've also gotten raises uh, since COVID. And so now if I were in California, I would be making just base pay over a hundred thousand dollars a year. And then there were always opportunities for, um, like extra 
extra service hours that they would pay you for. Anything I did extra, I got paid for. And in this, in where I'm at now, it's kind of like expected that you're going to do extra and you're not going to get paid for it. And so that was that was different. I don't think it's better or worse. Um, like you said, you know, we were just fortunate to live in an area that didn't need as much um, money to survive. I don't know how it is now though, because everything's expensive. But right. So you were in California as the pandemic hit and the lockdowns. And, but I, I don't know that you were out there as things were starting to open up. Were you? Um, I was actually, so we went, we were online for a full year with students. Um, and then the next year, so that was 21, 22, that school year, we were back in the classroom with students and I stayed for almost the whole year. So, um, we were there when, when things were opening back up. So, have you seen a difference in the kids before or pre-pandemic than after? Like Absolutely. I just saw something this morning about Randy Weingarten from the AFT saying, of course, you know, kids suffered due to being locked up and, you know, lockdowns. Yeah, absolutely. Um, What's changed? I would say I was talking to some teachers before we ended this last school year, and there is I've noticed a a huge lack of empathy with kids, especially junior high is a crazy age. We, everybody knows that it's the running joke. Like if you can maintain being a junior high teacher, I mean, you get some award in heaven because it's just so tumultuous with those kids, but there really is a lack of empathy. Like they will see something occur and and I almost have to like explain that you should feel bad that that happened. Like you should, you should empathize with what was going on with that person. It was a constant theme of my classroom because they, they just like a lack of emotions, which is so strange. And there are some, you know, some emotional children, but it was almost like a filter there. Like they couldn't really feel bad about anything they saw, which was very interesting. Cause at the beginning of my career, I had students that would, I mean, they felt bad when bad things happened or if something bad had happened to me, they, I mean, they would tell me, you know, and I could sense that from them and I don't get that anymore. Is that, is that just here in the Southeast or did you also experience that up in California? No, it it was in California too. Um, And, and when I was teaching, they were still masked though. And I really think, I mean, I didn't see kids' faces for the most part, and it really stopped a lot of interaction, emotional interaction between me and them because they also wouldn't talk. So, I mean, I'm talking about juniors and seniors, like kids that have, you know, had years without the pandemic, and they, it, was, it, was off, it was literally silent for the first three periods of my day. They would not talk. I would have to force interaction. That's interesting. It's mind-boggling. Yeah, it was mind-boggling. Do you, do you attribute that just to the masks or other stuff? I would say, I mean, they had a year of most of my students being on their own. Parents still had to work. You know, there weren't a lot of people that were as privileged as we were to be able to stay home and work and still help our kids and have conversations with them. And so I feel like they just scrolled and took in all of social media and, coming back from that is just very difficult. And so when you see the worst of the worst on social media and there's no one explaining to you that that is, you know, that beheading was bad and that shouldn't happen and you should feel bad about that, um, you get this kind of filter with the kids and it's very strange. Now, is it starting to come back or is it still there? It sounds like it's a numbing of the uh, senses, if you will. 
Absolutely. They're completely numb. Um, I did not see that it was coming back this year. I have a new role next year and I hope that, that it is, I feel like nothing, um, nothing phases them anymore. And so, I mean, you have to be numb, I guess, if you're seeing the things that, that so many of them are seeing with unfiltered access to the internet, 95% of my students, their parents never check their phone, never take their phone. Um, there are no restrictions on their phone. It's mind boggling. So they're, they're living basically a virtual reality. Absolutely. Yep. What's truth and fiction? We don't know anymore. That's very interesting. So is this, you know, you think of the, the lockdowns kind of in two different ways. A, you know, it's two to three years of everybody versus, you know, with kids, that's two to three years throughout, you know, ages five to whatever that there's high school age, right? Yeah. So it's impacted them all a little bit differently. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anybody like giving any guidance on how to deal with this? Is there anything coming down through, I don't know, whether it's the teachers unions or professional organizations or whatever, like how Um, do we deal with it? And I don't know, is it that they're totally screwed up now or or can we get them back? (laughs) I feel like, um, just from the outside looking in, um, nobody knew how to cope with what happened, which is, you know, we understand that. I mean, we can cognitively get like this hadn't happened before, so we didn't know how to cope. And so even adults weren't able to, to truly go through those emotions. And so then you can't teach your kid how to go through those emotions. And they try. I know that, you know, California is really big on SEL, so social emotional learning and um, really trying to tap into students, you know, emotions and how that affects their behaviors. But it's such a big beast. And I don't think like it's I don't think it's the teacher's job to to teach that per se. I mean, you do it in your classroom naturally, you know, if you love kids and you want them to be the best versions of themselves, but, um, to do a whole overhaul would take more manpower than I think they're willing to give. Um, you'd have to give up some control, I guess, of what's going on in the classroom for that. And I don't know, I don't know how, how we can come back from that because I really do believe that it's a parent, it's a parenting thing and not an education system. Well, part of the problem, and this goes way back pre-pandemic, there's been this huge, I guess, overhaul of what the role of teachers are that probably going back a few decades when you've got a divorce rate, working parents, and you know, there's really no stay-at-home moms, stay-at-home dads anymore. So it's become the role of the schools to be the parents, if you will. Absolutely. Which gets Absolutely. into a whole another topic, which is what is the role of the state in the state education? Yes. It's so multifaceted. Um, but I mean, I, I do believe that, that schools want kids to, you know, be empathetic human beings that, you know, are kind and, and that, that succeed. I, I believe that. Um, I think it's just really hard and there's so many other issues that go along with why students are behaving the way they are and what's going on in the classroom and what's going on in education right now, that it's just, it's such a huge beast. When you're out in California and you and I have had a couple conversations offline about this, but was there pressure 
And is there more pressure today? We're seeing this whole move towards schools taking a more activist role, or maybe not schools, but certain teachers taking activist roles with gender ideology. And yeah, I had a a couple girls on last year talking about furries in class. (laughs) Um, Do you guys have furries? (laughs) <laughs> no, that's a junior high thing. And they, there were rumors of furries, but I never saw any. <laughs> yeah. Apparently they're all over the place now. Yeah. So, um, but like, were you getting instructed on, you know, well, if you have a trans kid come in or if you have a furry come in and, you know, keep it from parents, for example. Um, me personally, no. Uh, I, I was in a conservative area, though, um, in a con- more conservative district that leans more conservative. And I think that there were enough parents that would have been involved in something like that if we had been instructed to do so, that it would have been a problem. And so um, I was in a district that just didn't didn't want to cause waves, which, you know, but I know that the more progressive leaning districts uh, you do get more top-down mandates of things like that. We just didn't, I didn't experience that. Now, there are teachers that will do whatever the teachers want to do. And unless they get called on that, conservative or liberal, um, then they just continue. And I think that could be the crux of some of the issues that we're seeing in social media. Yeah, it's, um, well, because there's a whole bunch of websites out there that are, quote, exposing things. And I've been curious because, is this really happening or is this just made up for election purposes from the right or the left? And, you know, it's just kind of puzzling to try to figure out what's real versus what's Fox news. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I have not seen now. I think it just depends on the teacher's worldview. Um, now I know there are some unions that do push this. So, I mean, that just is what it is. LA unified would probably be a union that would push more progressive ideology. Um, I haven't heard of teachers getting fired per se for, you know, not, not necessarily not using pronouns or, um, not telling parents. I know I'm in a counseling group now and, you know, we're instructed that, that it is the parent's right to know what their child is wanting to be called or what pronouns they're wanting to, to use. It's not something that I ask in my classroom. Um, but you know, again, I'm in a conservative area and, that I I can't imagine that coming from our board saying that we need to do those things. So I think it just depends on the area and the teacher's worldview. If they think that pronouns are important, then they're going to ask your kids their pronouns. And that just is what it is. And so it's up to you to ask your kid if you're being asked that, if you're opposed to pronoun usage. It always goes back. I've always said that like the parents, have always had the rights and they've given them up along the way. My parents were heavily involved. They asked me all the time what was going on in school. If there was a teacher doing something they didn't like, multiple times they were down at the school talking to the teacher, the counselor, and the principal to figure out what the issue was. And so, you know, they worked full time and they were busy, but they always made our education the priority. And if there was something that they had question about, they would ask the question, like there was no tiptoeing about it. And parents don't do that anymore. I have not had, I had two parents contacting me this year. I've been teaching for 12 years. I have not had parents contact me at all about anything going on in my classroom. Was it it better when you first got started or has it just Um, always been parents are hands off? 
it's always been that they're hands off. I mean, I, I feel like I haven't given any reason for a parent to contact me. And if they do contact me, I, I welcome it. And I explain whatever, you know, whatever's going on. And we, we come, you know, to, to the conclusion that is best for their child. But, um, you know, I have never really had any heat on me when it came to kids. So I guess maybe that makes a difference, but it's completely hands off. And it, unless you see something, on social media that sparks that elicits an emotional reaction. And then it feels like all these parents are doing all these things. But I, I mean, I've yet to experience that. Is this may be a setup question. Is this part of the problem with education in that parents are just not involved? The whole crux of, you know, behavioral issues and emotional issues and, you know, kids, um, not performing to where they need to perform. I mean, it starts with the parent. I, I only have them for however many minutes a day. I don't have, I can't do all the things, you know, you got 20 plus kids in a class like that. That's really not my job. And so I, it's always gone back to the parents and I would take responsibility if my kid were, you know, doing whatever crazy thing kids do, because, you know, it, it comes back to me for the most part. Now, you do have one-off teachers or you have the upper 10% that, you know, overspeak or share too much or, you know, they, I mean, we do that. We're communicative beings. Um, but I don't think that's the vast majority of teachers. So, but I've always said, you know, parents got involved and just made sure that, you know, I don't know, their kids were being taught and being loved the way that they should be. Then maybe there wouldn't be so much uproar now, or, you know, I don't know. It is divisive. So the media likes divisive topics. Well, there's there's the big issue, I think, in Loudoun County, Virginia, that um, and I don't actually remember what the issue, specific issue was. But, you know, all of a sudden that district became national news because of whether it's a trans issue or whatever it was. But the parents are like, you know getting going to school board meetings, getting kicked out of school board meetings. I think there's a couple of arrests. You know, they're all up in arms in Loudoun County. And yeah. It flipped, it flipped that part of Virginia to from blue to red. And was, it, was, it the, was that the same area that was having like a, a contagion of, um, of trans? Girls? I think so. Right? Yes. I, I remember reading be. about that. Yeah. So then it's, you know, now all of a sudden the, the parents are involved and, you know, I, the other thing I mentioned furries a minute ago, like I had the girls on, um, I guess it was back in November and I was in a state in the upper Midwest and out to dinner with a, uh, HR team. And we're just casually talking. And this, one of the HR leaders said that one of her friends had moved from a, I think it was Chicago to somewhere else because she had been attacked. The daughter had been attacked by furries. Like oh. coming home with scratches and all that stuff. I'm like, oh, so it's no. here too. It's, yeah, it's everywhere. There's packs everywhere. of them roving the countryside. <laughs> so I'm just like, how often is this happening? And is it happening just in little spots, or is it a contagion? To use your word, I feel like the the weird behavior is. I mean, I, I hate bringing that back, but it really is social media driven. Now, I, I'm you know I'm not of the there are 
trans students and there are students that are unsure of their gender. I get that. But parents complain about like their particular student. And I would ask, I would beg the question, how often is your kid on the internet scrolling TikTok, looking up YouTube videos? You know, I mean, we can find anything we want. We can support any idea that we have. If we want to, we can find enough information to support that thought process. And kids aren't necessarily, I mean, kids aren't stupid. So I, always, I just always bring it back to that. How often are they on the internet? I don't have enough time in my day if I wanted to, to, you know, make little minions of whatever ideology I have. I don't have time for that. I, I mean, not to mention the constant, you know, redirection of children and, and hurting cats in the classroom. Like we just don't have time for that. So I think that teachers see a student or I'm sorry, I'm parents see a teacher on the internet that has, you know, the pride flag or the, you know, the using the pronouns or whatever. And they assume that the classroom is just, this is all we're talking about all the time. And I would say, are you talking to your kid? Does your kid know your worldview? Are you having discussions with them about what you believe so that they can come up with their own thought process? Or are you just assuming that we sit there and that's what we teach on all the time? I don't know. Maybe some teachers have that ability. I never have. I would have little minions like making me money, I guess, if I could, but I don't have the time. <laughs> I don't have the time. Well, it, and I think part of it too is there's teenagers are just hard, right? Oh, absolutely. They're, they're rebellious. Anything that you say, if you say right, they say left and, you know, I don't want to make my bed and all that stuff. Don't yes. tell me what to do. <laughs> Who are you to tell me what to do? Absolutely. And, you know, I go back to it too. I, I know that, you know, I'm, I'm not always the popular opinion, but like, I don't remember much from high school. I don't remember. I remember the teachers that I liked. I remember the teachers I didn't like. I don't remember anything I really learned. I remembered I liked high school. Like that was fun. But I, I don't think that, you know, the majority of teachers are out there trying to push some kind of agenda I think if parents got involved and they didn't like what was happening in the classroom and they could come to a, you know, agreement with the teacher, that would be better. But instead we get these, you know, social media posts and it looks like teachers are out there teaching some crazy stuff all the time. So I don't, I don't know. Yeah. That's kind of what I was wondering about is, you know, because we do see the social media posts, it makes, you know, the news, it gets blogged about and all that sort of stuff. Is this a, Again, is it more of a one-off or is it more a contagion? From my perspective, now, now how you talked about, you know, when it comes from the district down and if teachers are getting forced to do things that go against what they think, I mean, that's a bigger problem. Um, But from what I've seen, knowing teachers across the nation, you know, we're really just trying to do our job. I'm really just trying to teach your kid. You know, I don't, I don't have an ulterior motive. Now my worldview might not align with your worldview, but I don't think the majority of teachers, at least in my experience, haven't been pushing that worldview per se, but you will have some that are like, you know, they are very vocal about what they believe. Do I think that's okay? Not necessarily, but then the parent should come in and talk to the teacher and, you know, the principal and the counselor so they can figure out what's going on. Do I need to pull my kid? The parents have always had the power I got pulled from a class in high school because my parents didn't like that teacher. They didn't like what he was teaching. They didn't like what he was talking about. And they didn't like how he was making me feel in class. So they changed my schedule. Like they've always had the power that we haven't taken it away. So I don't, it feels like that sometimes that it's just. 
do they still have the power? And I'm, I'm going back to California because California is passing legislation now that, or I don't know if they've signed it yet or it's just passed the California Senate, but um, essentially, and I don't mean this to go back to the trans issue because you could, you could put this into any issue, but if a parent misgenders their child, then that parent can lose that child. Yes. Right. Yes. So if, if the state is coming down and in this case, teachers would likely be state actors, you know, government officials, so to speak. Yeah. Um, you know, you could do this with just about anything. If you don't, if you don't adhere to whatever ideology is being passed down through the state, you lose your child. Then it's, you know, you basically got the state responsible for parenting. Yes, I've seen that in California. But then that begs the question, where were the voters when it came to voting these people in? Like they are they've shown who they were the whole time. Like it hasn't Mr. Weiner hasn't changed. Like he's always been that way. And so now he's putting this legislation through that, you know, you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. My 13 year old can make these decisions and I have no say. So it's like it always goes back to like we I mean. Yeah, for the, for the listeners real quick, uh, Scott Weiner is a state assembly person who is relatively well-known in the San Francisco district and in the state house for being um, kind of out there. Yeah, he's just so extremely progressive, which, you know, I, w- I, would, I would argue that there are a lot of parents in California that are okay with legislation like that. And we're, we're seeing on social media, the parents that are not. And so that Which, becomes the biggest. And then issue. they turn out, they leave California and then, yeah, the concentration get, gets worse, I guess. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, I don't know what the answer is. I just know that there are so many teachers that just love kids <laughs> And they want to do what's best for them. And it, it does, it hurts when you see things like that, where it looks, where it paints us in a certain light that we're, you know, trying to give kids X, Y, and Z ideology. And, you know, that's the parent's job. But I know that my parents gave me a really good foundation. And so I went into classes and questioned those things. And then I talked to my parents about it. No one was feeding me lies. Like we were having discussions yeah, well, that's your parents, but how many of the other 25 kids in your peer group didn't ask those questions? Agreed, agreed, agreed. And it, it's sad. I, I wish that they would. <laughs> I wish, I mean, in a perfect world, everyone would be having conversations with their kids. And, you know, you bring into the fact that there's so many single parents and parents just doing the best that they can to get by. And so, you know, it's not like a, I think you're an awful parent because you're not doing those things. It's a, you know, where were you 10 years ago when this stuff was coming around? Like, what's the most important job that you have? So it just, in my opinion, it's always gone back to that or what I've seen in the classroom. Well, yeah, unfortunately, we we live in a society that does not have parenting as a um, putting it up higher on a pedestal, I guess. I know. I know. It is unfortunate. And so... You know, we just do the best that we can. <laughs> Hope we don't get shown on Fox News as being a teacher that's pushing something. <laughs> right. Yeah. So where do you think things are headed now that the lockdowns are over, kids are back in classrooms? Is it gonna is the ship gonna get righted or is it just going to continue to sink? 
I guess it depends on, I know, huh? I guess it depends on what your idea of a, of a right ship is. Um, so if you are more progressive, I think that things are going to continue on that, on that plane. And if you are more conservative, I think, you know, if you don't want your kids in certain environments, then you should homeschool them or put them in an environment that you do that you have more control over that way. Um, because, you know, in my mind, parents seem to be more involved. I know that's not necessarily going to be, um, that's not going to happen per se in certain areas. And so I, I see it going more progressive just from the last 12 years of being in education. Now, do you have that sense in terms of where you are now in the Southeast or is it more just California blue states? I, I when I think of the West coast for sure. Um, but I know in the Southern states, there are big pockets of areas that are more, that are leaning more that way too. So I guess it just depends on where you live. Um, I live in a really conservative area and so they do things more conservatively. Um, so, but I, I wonder if it, that will start to shrink as we continue because now we have kids that are growing up and, you know, mass amounts of kids growing up in areas that are leaning, you know, a certain type of way. So I wonder what that will look like or if we'll just be factioned off. (laughs) We we all have our own governments and just break away. (laughs) In districts, district 13. (laughs) Hopefully not that one. Feed the capital. Yes. Um, So, well, okay, so that's kind of the political side. I guess part of the, my question is um, the kids who have been affected, you know, less empathetic, they're on social media. Is that going to write itself or is that still going down the... I can't imagine. I, I When I asked my students, because the, we had, we were a known phone school, so they weren't supposed to have their phones out. And there were some that were obviously, you know, you had to deal with them more because they always wanted to be on their phones. And when I asked to all three classes, with the exception of the students whose parents could not afford phones, like how often do you have your phone? And they, I mean, they would have them all day long, like going to bed at three or four o'clock in the morning because they're on their phones. I can't imagine that's going to change. And they are getting fed this information, like whatever information you don't want them to watch, they're watching on their phone and they're just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. And so it's a constant combat of, are you filtering out that information? Like, did you go and double check that that was the truth? And I had to have those conversations all the time in my classrooms. Like, you don't need to know my opinion on anything, but did you go and check if that source was reliable. Did you check and see if there were, you know, refuting sources and they just, it's just a constant stream of information. How do you write that ship? <laughs> like, how do you change that other than, you through know, the parents. through the parents? I mean, it just, and uh, yeah, I mean, we had some crazy things happen this year, just in our little school. And, you know, I had great admin and teachers that really love the kids, but it was all social media driven. Like the crazy things that were happening, these kids had unrestricted access to porn and, you know, fighting and bullying and all these things. Like that could have been mitigated if they didn't have their phones all the time. Like there would not have been this back and forth if all these kids didn't have access to fighting with each other outside of school hours and then bringing it back into school or, you know, finding the way to get their weed or whatever. And we're talking 13 year olds, like, 13, 12, sixth graders were getting in trouble. That, that wasn't by osmosis. They're scrolling on their phones all day long. They leave and that's what they're doing. 
So like, to me, that's the biggest issue. Yeah. I, you see these fights like at McDonald's or Wendy's or whatever, these big brawls on social media. And I saw one the other day of a bunch of kids ransacking a, it might've been Seven Eleven or whatever it was. And like these kids, they ransacked it, stole, like literally opened the cash drawer, kicked the cash register. So it like popped open, you know? Yeah. And I looked at a couple of the kids and they had to be like seventh, eighth grade. Yeah. I'm like, holy crap. I saw that too. Yes. And I mean, that's what, and then there's no, like, no remorse. So then what do they become when they're 18? They're, you know, 12 sticking up a McDonald's and stealing money. And there's like nothing there. It's like, oh, this is fun. This is funny. and And you see this in the bigger city, San Francisco's, I think in the headlines a lot, Chicago, where these kids are out at, you know, one in the morning partying and taking over the streets and all that sort of stuff, running in, looting, you know, whatever store stealing. Yeah. And it's not penalized because in California, I think you can steal up to a thousand dollars and you're okay. Absolutely. So at that point, well, of course, you know, you just saw a bunch of kids shot in, I think it was Chicago. Like, like there's, and it's got to be coming into the classroom. There's no oh, absolutely. penalties. There's no, you know, it's okay. Go ahead. Do your thing. Yes. Unfortunately. And, and, you know, I can empathize with the children and, and their backgrounds and what they've gone through in their lives. And also say like, there needs to be consequences because they'll never learn. And we know the school to prison pipeline is a real thing. Like there's been mass amounts of studies on what happens there. And so, you know, if the parents aren't going to help, then, then what do we do? And that begs the bigger question. Like, how do we solve the issue? I have no idea. I have no idea, but it's sad. Um, It's really sad to see kids just not, just don't care. Just don't care. I'll do whatever I want to do. What are you going to do? Well, and, and from a broader perspective, is it like literally a lost generation? Is it, you know, I mean, we, we see in history, things have a tendency to write themselves or like they swing one way and they pull back, you know, because of some catastrophic event or something like that. And I'm just wondering wow. if, if this generation's done, just start with the next one. <laughs> I would hope that it's not done. I hope that I hope that kids learn or that they, you know, have someone that can help them learn how to sift through the muck of social media. That would be amazing. And and the schools try. I mean, we have the trainings, we do the things that we can do. Um, I do have glimmers of hope. I always have every year of these amazing children that are just smart and sweet and you know, they come into class. And they just love being there and they want to ask questions and have discussions. And they're really just reaching out for someone to love them. And I think that there are a lot of students like that. So um, otherwise, I don't think I could continue in education. So I don't know if it's a lost hope. I think uh, if, if we could stop, you know, making these social media posts that, inflame everyone that would be great you know what i mean like if we could have more discourse which doesn't seem to be happening in the last eight years or so (laughs) for 
four, five, six years. Um, If we could have some discourse and really get down to, you know, what would be best for this, for the kids, because they really are the next generation, but you see like the lack of work ethic and, and, um, you know, just, just like we've said that lack of empathy and, and it makes me worry for them. I don't think they're lost though. There are glimmers of hope. There are some great kids out there. Well, and you talk to a lot of other teachers out there, not just mm-hmm. here, but back home and, you know, across the country. Yep. Do you hear the same thing from teachers, your, your fellow teachers? Um, I think I haven't, pre- I mean, you hear the discipline issues that really, that a lot of teachers struggle with, which is why there's an exodus of, you know, certain teachers because they just don't want to deal with that anymore. But the teachers that I'm friends with, you know, on the West coast, they, they love their jobs and they love their kids and they can't imagine doing anything else. And so you take that understanding of, you know, this kid might not change in my class, but you hope that they'll change by the time they're, you know, 16, 17, 18. And I've seen, I have so many success stories of kids who are just awful as 13, 14 year olds. And then now they're doing amazing things as they've graduated high school. So you always just keep hope alive. I think. Well, I, that's a good way to put that. That's probably a good end note there. So I I know you've got stuff to do. I don't remember the, the time, but I've, I've loved having you on Labor Relations Radio. And yes, I'm going to try to keep this conversation going. I've got a couple other teachers that I want to talk to, but we just haven't been able to schedule them. But it's, I find the whole thing fascinating doesn't necessarily impact me because my kids are grown and gone, but yeah, um, it's, it's one that I've seen percolating around and it's uh, like the issues that we're seeing in social media a lot. Yeah. Of. Yeah. So. It's fascinating for sure. I definitely agree. Yeah. Thank well, you. Sarah. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thank you. So that was Sarah coming to us from the front lines of today's classrooms and she's the first of several that I'd like to talk to. If you're a teacher and on those front lines and would like to be on the podcast to tell us what it's like in your neck of the woods, reach out to us. I'll leave the link under the audio portion of this episode and would love to hear from you. Or just leave a comment under the audio portion as well. In any case, that wraps up another episode of Labor Relations Radio. I'm your host, Peter List. If you want to reach out, you can leave a comment, as I just mentioned, under the audio portion. You can reach out on Twitter at Workplace Report. That's at Workplace RPT. Or give us a call at 1-888-668-6466. Have a great weekend, and thanks for listening. Oh, Black Queen, take me to that place. You have been listening to Labor Relations Radio. Hey, Labor Relations Radio listeners, this is just a quick reminder. If you enjoy Labor Relations Radio, make sure you share these episodes with your colleagues and make sure you and your colleagues visit laborunionnews.com and subscribe to our News Digest.